You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 4. Charles Wolverton's Will The trees parted, and as the track reached its conclusion, Ravenwood House appeared before them flanked with broad green lawns which had not been attended to for some time. The site had been home to one farm or another for well over twelve hundred years. Rebecca recalled Matthew showing her the oldest part of the house, ancient flagstones and later bricks overlapping within the reconstructed cellar walls. The extended edifice that stood on that spot now was built upon the skeleton of what had been there before. Aunt Cleo stood waiting to meet them the way she had always done. Rebecca was struck with a melancholy image as she beheld the singular figure now holding a walking cane of just how much time had elapsed since she had last visited when Uncle Matthew had been standing there too. It was only eight years, not even three thousand days, but that short period had transformed this middle-aged lady into a crone. As their carriage alighted and they stepped out, Rebecca found that close-up Cleo was not so different after all. A few more lines and creases on her face, streaks of grey in her chestnut hair, and she was slower in her movements than she had been, of course. But the eyes were the same, green and bright. Her gestures still elegant. It was Cleo, just lonelier. My darlings! She gushed. The children I know have been spirited away by the fairies have left two beautiful ladies in their place. Dear Cleo, it is wonderful to see you again. Amanda embraced her aunt warmly as Rebecca swiftly moved to catch her, in case this unbalance should send the old woman toppling. I'm all right, Rebecca, Cleo said, spotting this, and laid her free hand upon her niece's shoulder. My centre of gravity is still firm. I just need this thing to help me move from place to place. I did not want our first greeting in years to involve... Flattening you. It would take more than an embrace for that. Speaking of which, this must be Rafe. It's a pleasure to meet you, Aunt Cleo, he said, bowing politely. I apologize for not being able to make the wedding. If it helps, I have attended little else in recent times. Ah, Mr. Dawson. Charmed, I'm sure. Widow Spencer? Right. Well, we can't all stand here, engaged in scintillating conversation. She began to hobble towards her doorway. Elsie has turned down the beds for everyone at her insistence. Though I made it plain, I could do it myself. She's going to take your coach back into town. A familiar woman with frizzy, carrot-coloured hair, wearing a blue housemaid's dress, covered by an overcoat, stepped from the front door carrying her bag. Elsie! Amanda cried out and rushed over to take her warmly by the hand. Hello, young Miss Amanda. Miss Rebecca. You're not staying? No, I visit fewer afternoons each month. It seems the less mobile your aunt gets, the less she wants assistance. She is lucky that you're still taking care of her, though. Elsie gave a sniff. Last week, Mrs. Spencer had me pass her logs to chop. Then she fed me a shepherd's pie she'd made while we sat in front of the fire. The casual observer would surmise it's her job to look after me. Shall we see you tomorrow? I have a morning position at the post office, but I shall be here on this coach at one. 
then we shall pass like ships in the night. That same coach will be taking us back to the station. We have some urgent business to attend to. That is, of course, assuming Mr Dawson's paperwork runs in our favour and we still have a business to attend to. Rebecca stepped through the doorway, which had shrunk in the intervening years since her last visit, and paused to look around. Each old angle brought her back in time. The golden cream walls were crisscrossed with darkened wooden beams. Faded couches of mint and bottle green flanked the borders of the parlour on the right, culminating in the fireplace. An iron pan ingrained with ashes stood to attention beside the quartered logs of elm burning atop the grate. Rebecca could smell the very edge of blackened chestnuts as she closed her eyes. Through in the kitchen there would be the stove, radiating further warmth across to the round table where she had sat with her mother, sketching their ideal castle, nursing a small paper bag of sherbet, another of licorice comfits, and two tall glasses of dandelion and burdock. She found herself yearning for that precise combination of tastes. Beside the kitchen, the scullery played host to the house crockery, the water pump and the mangle which Amanda had convinced Timothy was a medieval torture device for flattening the hands of witches, he had declined to help her demonstrate. On the left, down the hall under the staircase, was the doorway to the cellar, that they were only allowed in with an accompanying grown-up on account of all the mischief that could be made with stored artefacts and tools both sharp and blunt. It was a shockingly cold place to venture down to from the world above and an oppressively lonely one. Rebecca ventured further into the house and glanced into the dining room to where Uncle Matthew's battered, worn piano stood, its fallboard open should he wish to sit down again and play a tune. Each of the keys supported a thin layer of fine grey dust. Something felt different. It was the same house, to be sure, possibly too much so. She could now see cobwebs, gathered in the upper corners of each room, cracks in the paint, unmended fastenings and windows touched with the mottled fingers of damp. It was not a place of grandeur that had declined, so much as a happy home which had stopped in place. Rebecca made an about turn, spotting from the corner of her eye an entrenched curved impression in the wall, outlining the side of a heavy flung dish. Beyond that, just outside the front door, was where their father had stood roaring at them. She scowled as she walked by and turned to climb the winding stairs to the upper floor. She paced along the corridor over irregular boards jutting up through narrow lengths of threadbare carpet. It was dark up here. Few windows dotted the walls, and if you didn't bring your own light, you might find yourself feeling around for a doorknob as night fell. Rebecca found the room that had been laid out for her. The bed, turned down on the right, had purple sheets, stained brown in one corner from the cup of tea she had insisted she could drink lying down. The bed where Amanda used to sleep, on the left, was neatly made with daffodil yellow sheets. The chair in the middle, with the hue and contours of bone, was where Charles had sat reading to them both from Gulliver's Travels, a Christmas present Amanda had wanted to delve into alone but Rebecca had determined a fair and mutually enjoyable narration instead. The busy sounds of life filled the house around Rebecca as she set her travel bag upon the purple sheets. 
she could hear the kettle whistling downstairs, and Amanda and her husband talking in the next room. Your aunt seems well enough, said Rafe as he deposited their travel bags in the master bedroom. I think she's feeling fantastically uncomfortable. This money situation is supremely awkward. Besides which, she can't quite put her finger on how we should be treated yet, as girls or women. But then, Aunt Cleo was always a bit of a funny host, badgering everyone with tea and biscuits. Her desperation for our every whim to be catered for was, now that I think about it, a little exhausting. And yet you were always excited to come here. I love it, Amanda said, wistfully. Despite what happened, it's a magical place, really. I feel surrounded by nature, and away from all the troubles of the world. Besides which, Uncle Matthew always had a knack for calming Cleo down and telling her she could rest a little. I do wish you could have met him. You two are so similar. She reached up and stroked his face, sadly. If Matthew was around, I have no doubt the both of them would have been at our wedding. Rafe held her tightly, and she slowed her breathing in time with his. Are you ready for all this legal mumbo-jumbo? Oh, yes. I'm just worried about how Rebecca will react. She squeezed him a little tighter. Really? I already have everything I want. In the dining room, once afternoon tea had been partaken of, and as everybody sat around the mahogany table opposite the piano, Dawson finally opened his satchel and retrieved a leather portfolio. He read from the enclosed documents, his tone sonorous. I, Charles Richard Innsmouth Wolverton, in this my 52nd year of life, do hereby declare the following statements as my last will and testament to be read upon the occasion of my death. I direct my executor, Burwell Dawson, to assemble those persons previously divulged to him, that they may hear the final disposition of my property and worldly possessions. I have dedicated the latter years of my life to improving the prospects of our family. Regrettably, to date, that has not resulted in prosperity, and should I not have time or opportunity to amend this, my daughters Rebecca and Amanda are to be left not with dowry, but with debt. It is not so much now as it was in previous years, but amounts to some £500 owing in arrears. However, I am the owner of several unmortgaged properties, including Ravenwood, left to me by my father Dale Wolverton, and which my sister has been residing in these past 25 years. The house in Bristol, Blackthorn, currently home to Rebecca, Amanda and Mr Culver, is also among these. And then there are the premises of the Havisham's shop, which were left to my late wife Jane Wolverton by her father Cecil Havisham, rendered my property by English law as her husband. Both sisters straightened their backs. Amanda licked her lips nervously, while Rebecca crushed her handkerchief into a tightly wound twist of white cotton. Dawson continued. To my daughter Amanda, I bequeath my collection of books, 
May they inspire you in your whimsical fancies. You have achieved your goal of a fine husband in Rafe, a man who can afford to keep you, and will no doubt give you a happy life. You have both my permission and encouragement to seek fame as an author. Amanda squeezed Rafe's hand and patted Rebecca's knee in a way she hoped was reassuring. Her sister flinched. To my daughter Rebecca, I leave my collection of ships and bottles that I recall so fascinated you as a child. Rebecca's world fell away, and her mouth dropped open in utter dismay. Your sister has found a husband, an essential endeavour I have urged you towards time and time again. Since I shall not be there any longer to suggest it, I will state plainly for the last time that you must follow her example. And so, to my sister Cleo, I leave you Ravenwood. At my behest you ceased paying me rent a decade ago, and now the house is entirely yours to live out the rest of your days. However, I award this prize to you in no light manner. You must earn it by steering my daughters rightly in my absence. I have no male heir, or this duty would be afforded to him. Ergo, I leave you with ownership of Blackthorn and Havisham's shops. My suggestion is that Havisham's be sold in order to pay off the debt. If that does not suffice, sell Blackthorn. The balance of this transaction should be enough for you to keep my remaining husbandless daughter for as much time as you see fit until she has obtained the appropriate male benefactor, an undertaking she shall find considerably easier without the distraction of business. I wish all of you the best, with long life free of the burdens that come with pursuit. Charles You have been listening to the New Century Multiverse, Let Them Go, Episode 4, Charles Wolverton's Will. Written, narrated, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Rebecca Wolverton, performed by Sharon Shaw. Amanda Culver, performed by Theo Lee. Rafe Culver, performed by Spencer Lieb. Burwell Dawson, performed by Matt Ramsey. Aunt Cleo, performed by Loretta Saylor and Elsie, performed by Debbie Morse. Ghostpocalypse, Magic Forest, Promises to Keep, and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. The production of New Century is funded by you guys on Patreon, and our special $15 sponsors get name-checked each week, so a huge, extra-big thank you to Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, and Lorraine Chisholm. Did you know it takes longer to open a can of Coke and drink it than it does to leave an iTunes rating and review for the New Century Multiverse? Why not do both? And an extra shout-out to our listeners in Texas. Apparently Loretta keeps running into you guys. Tweet us at New Century Shore if you're one of them. We shall see you all next week for the aftermath of Charles's decision. <laughs>